morning. So uh, that sounds pretty great, doesn't it? That sounds pretty great. Yes, it does. Um, and it's an interesting concept because we love the sound of this sort of fully committed, enthusiastic, completely non-materialistic believers naturally sharing and praising and witnessing and being led by these incredibly powerful apostles and the whole community, the whole community just thinking that we're absolutely fantastic. Now, it's true, there are lots of writers through history who love to tell us that that is what our church should be like. Have you ever heard that? It's interesting because it almost sounds like a flawless argument. I mean, let's be honest, it sounds wonderful, so therefore, it must be wonderful. This is the basis of basically all television advertising, by the way. It sounds wonderful, therefore, it must be wonderful. And that's interesting. You see, this idea that there is the perfect out there, the perfect out there, is a very, very compelling idea. And don't get me wrong, I have been in the perfect place. Lots of different perfect places. I have been at the perfect family gathering where everybody was happy and nobody had, no, I've been there, and nobody was falling out with anybody and the food was fantastic and nobody got indigestion afterwards and all of those things. And at the end of it, when you look back on it, you thought, that was just fantastic. Have you ever had that? Yeah. I have been to the perfect church service where God spoke and everybody got into it. And those that needed challenging listened to the challenge. And those that needed encouraging got encouraged. And you look back afterwards and you thought, that was fantastic. You've been there? Yeah, good. Well, this was it for those Jerusalem Christians. And naturally, of course, and I'm sure this is your experience as well, that the very next family gathering I went to was absolutely flawless and perfect as well. And nobody fell out, and nobody got indigestion, and I didn't burn any of the food and get grumpy, and none of that happened. And the next time I went back to the church, and it was all the same people doing all the same things, and exactly the same happened. And everybody was happy. And everybody, is that your experience? Ha. Eh. You see, here's the thing, and it is interesting, is that 
There's this idea, and it's very compelling, and it's not just among Christians, by the way, that, you know, the perfect is just, just a fingertip away. Have you ever been at that thing, you know, where you've got a plan, and it's just the best one ever, and if it works out, well, everything's going to be sorted. And, you know, it's so close that you can feel your fingertips sort of scraping against the edge of it. But people are so flipping uncooperative, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And the sense of disappointment, because it could have been so good. You ever felt that? <laughs> Me too. God. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and the idea of utopia, the idea of utopia is, is this idea that there's an environment where everything is just right, where everybody does what everybody should, where everybody is what everybody ought to be, where all the circumstances are exactly how they're needed, and, uh, and everything is just fan-dabby-dozy. That's an important Scottish word that you should all learn. Uh, I believe it's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> and it's very compelling to tell people that that is out there. And it's very compelling to tell Christians that that is out there. But it's not just a Christian thing. See, the idea is that you work out what it is that's fantastic and go chasing it. It's used in business all the time. It's the basis for things like blue sky thinking. You know what I mean? What is your ideal business or product? Where would you be like this personal development thing? Where would you like to be in five years from now? Well, still alive would be a help. <laughs> yes. Four limbs and a head, that would be a start. Okay, what is your perfect job and lifestyle? And then we can aspire towards it. It's compelling, isn't it? And it's perfect because if we can condition you enough then clever people like me can invent a product which will help you get there. And then I will tell you that. And I will say, in my true advertising skills, I will tell you something that you believe, and then I will attach it to my product. And I will say, well, everybody ought to get what they're aiming for, so buy this. And do you know what? You'll fall for it. How do I know that? Well. You've fallen for it for four. They don't spend billions on this stuff because people don't fall for it, by the way. Just so you know. So utopia, very compelling, very compelling. And the idea is that Luke is describing to us here the perfect church. The perfect church. And we should have that perfect church as well, shouldn't we? 
and it's only fingertips away. Because all we need is, well, I don't know, fill in the blanks. New leader. That's my suggestion. <laughs> Help yourself, I'm off. <laughs> that, exactly. You know, new, new people. That suit me. Go on, out. I'm going to start again. You know, new building, new premises, more young people, more old people, better toilets. I don't know. A bigger worship band. Yeah, more people. Yes. There you, we all have our ideas. And we are fed with the impression that everything is just, oh, just fingertips away from absolute perfection. Like, um, like the early church. That Luke was telling us how perfect it could be. And we've read it, I don't know how many times. I mean, if you've been a Christian a long time, who's, who's read this more than a hundred times? Hands up if you've read this more than a hundred times. Can I ask a question? Who's read more than three books that have told you that this is what we're aiming at? Yeah. Okay. So let, I, I know that I might be bursting bubbles here, and I do apologize if I am. Okay? But feel free to go pop your among friends. Not that kind of pop. Go outside for that and then come back in, okay? Uh, there's other people here. So, uh, but here's, I just want to tell you a few things that just to straighten this out. Number one, Luke doesn't tell us anything at all except for the facts. Luke, Luke gives us no commentary on the early church whatsoever. He doesn't give us any opinions at all. Now, there's reasons why people talk about this. I mean, the, the most popular theory about why Luke was written along with his gospel was Acts and Luke were written, were that it was presenting evidence for Paul's trial, his first trial, the one he got off on, uh, to Caesar. And therefore, he's doing what you know, people do in law, which is just stick to the facts. So he doesn't tell us all the people did this and it was great. He doesn't tell us all the people did this and it was bad. And similarly, when it went wrong, and, and Luke tells us the story of the early church and when it went wrong, and he doesn't go, and it all went wrong like this, and I think it was his fault or her fault or their fault. He doesn't give any opinions. He just tells us what is. All the commentary is added by us and other people. It just tells us what is. And we add all sorts of bits. And that's quite an interesting thing. Because when we listen to what other people say about the early church, and that is the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, and the writer to the Hebrews, whoever she was, and also um, the, those comments by Jesus to the church in the book of Revelation, then we get a commentary about the church. And a lot of what they say doesn't describe the ideal utopia at all. They tell us all sorts of other things. And they tell us things that they think were good in the church, and they tell us things that they think were a big mistake. Luke doesn't do any of that. He just tells us the facts. That's it. And so when we read the book of Acts, 
We have to just read it as a list of facts. Now, sometimes that helps and sometimes it doesn't. It depends what we're looking at. So, for example, Luke doesn't describe any miracles or healings done by anybody except apostles. Only apostles, that's all he describes. But it is the Acts of the Apostles after all, so, you know. Now, some people have conjectured from that, uh, and I grew up among some who thought this, that after the apostles died, therefore all miracles stopped. Because it was only apostles that did miracles, and that was all very well when you were an apostle, but we haven't got any of them now, so uh, it's all stopped. There are other people who conjecture from this that that was the pattern and that there were roughly 5,000 Christians roaming around Jerusalem, healing everybody in sight 24 hours a day, uh, and, and nobody in the whole city was sick because, frankly, there was almost more healing than there was population. Now, all of that isn't based on any commentary in Acts, because there is no commentary in Acts. He just tells you what was. All of that is conjecture on our part. Now, what we do know is that it's a mistake to think that all miraculous healing ended with the apostles, because Paul tells us that in the next generation of church, some were gifted with healing. But it's also wrong to think that during this rather exciting season, there were 5,000 people roaming around the city doing miraculous healing, because Paul tells us some, which is great. We know alls, all speak in tongues or can, all prophesy or can, and then lots of sums. But there you go, just saying that we take what Luke says, and others have taken what Luke says, and they just conjecture. But here's what we actually know. So this fantastic period of time lasted conservative estimate, five weeks, Uh, liberal estimate, three months. So it was that time. And that's brilliant for utopian thinking, by the way, because one way of utopian thinking that I've talked about is looking forward, but the other fantastic way of utopian thinking is looking back. So this is a lifetime now of Christians going, ah, remember Jerusalem. Remember what it was like then. If only we could have it back like that. Well, that's utopian thinking. I know nobody here ever thinks like that. (laughs) Nobody ever thinks, let's go back to the 80s when hairstyles were what they ought to be. (laughs) Do you know, I dream of a mullet. Well, to be honest, I dream of any hairstyle, but, 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 but especially a mullet. You know, yeah. I can still do the long at the back, by the way. <laughs> but people do this, and people do this with churches. Churches and Christian movements and events. Has any, anybody, we've got a few pastors here and a few people who've been involved in church leadership. You ever, you ever ladled under that? When there's somebody who's been somewhere that was perfect and frankly, you're not it. And the expectation is that you ought to be doing what they were doing because what they were doing was perfect. Yeah? Okay. Welcome to all church leadership because lots of people think that about acts. You ought to be doing this because it's perfect. Have you ever come across that? Have you come across that? No? Yeah. Good. And, 
I, I spoke to somebody recently, and they said this. They said, of course, they said, there's no good songs that's been written since 1973. <laughs> well, that's a good way of looking at things, because it sort of says, right, I've hit the ideal, and I am now going to play those records until they fall apart, and then I'm going to buy compilation CDs and reminisce and live in my era. I used to have this theory that men reach a certain age, and if they've still got hair left, they have the hairstyle of the era when they thought they were most successful. <laughs> Do you know, here's the advantage of going bald. You don't know when I thought I was good. <laughs> when you were born. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a utopian thinking about looking back. Isaiah in the Old Testament tells us this. He says, this is his advice. He says, do not say, why were things better in the old days? That was Isaiah's advice to the Israelites. Do not say, why were things better in the old days? But equally, I suppose I'm adding to that and say, do not think that things can be perfect if only, if only, if only, if only. That's what I'm saying. Okay, the second thing I want to tell you about this is that actually some of the things that Luke reports, now please remember this, Luke reports them. He doesn't support them, he just reports them. We love the sound of them, but actually some of the things that Luke reports turned out to be quite harmful. Some of the things that Luke reports in the passages we're talking about actually turned out to be quite harmful. Let me tell you a couple of them. So here's the idea. So here's the thing, just anybody watch Downton Abbey? Yeah? Anybody like Pride and Prejudice? Okay, can I just ask those romantics among you, have you ever said, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to live in those times? Who's ever said that? And wear those dresses? All right, calm down, fellas. Uh, okay, let's talk to the girls there. Uh, you know, to have them. And the answer to that is, yes, if you were rich. Yes, if you were rich. This was an ideal time for some. You see, the ideal usually, almost always, has winners and it has losers. So here's the thing. If somebody said, right, what I want is for you to have everything that you own and share it without question, do you know what I'd say? I'd say, fine, as long as I can choose who I share it with. As long as I choose who I can share it with, I will share everything without question, in this circle. Because I know them. Because, you see, then I know that somebody who just fancies all my stuff doesn't come along, lie to me and go, I'm in dire need of all your stuff. And I go, well, I'm, I'm living in utopia, have it all. And then find out that they were lying. Because people lie. Have you noticed that? Not you, obviously, but people lie. People have a perception of their needs. I have a grandson, 
He has a sister. His sister had a birthday. He hated it. <laughs> Guess why? She got stuff. She got mega girly stuff, and he likes boy stuff. But guess what? Because it was hers. <laughs> People don't, are not like that when they grow up, are they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, one of the problems with all of this was that having a huge commonality actually caused an exclusivity. Having a huge commonality generated an exclusivity, and it didn't take long before we discovered that the Jews who were Christians in Jerusalem loved the idea of sharing with each other. But sharing with Greeks who were not Jews, well, they weren't really interested. So everybody had everything in common until everybody wasn't Jewish. Now, the apostles apparently, and again, I've heard people say this, they fixed this. The apostles didn't fix this. This is what the apostles did. The apostles got the Greeks to appoint Greek people to look after Greek people, while the Jewish people looked after Jewish people. Yes, all the seven, including Stephen, were Greek. So all the Greek people looked after the Greek people, and all the Jewish people looked after the Jewish people. Two decades later, despite a revelation that Peter had from God, Paul and Peter are arguing about the fact that Jewish isn't the way, because everybody had got exclusive. Did you know that? It's in Luke. And here's the thing. Here we are 2,000 years later. If you go to Jerusalem, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I don't think I am, the Messianic Jews, the Jewish Christians, do not mix with the Arab Christians. Sadly, that's true. 2,000 years later. That's a utopia, isn't it? You see, not everything that we read about in the passages we are talking about worked. They sound fab, but they turned out to be harmful. Not all of them. Not all of them. Because, you see, they met together in each other's homes and we know that that works. They broke bread together, and John told us that that wasn't just communion, but eating together, whatever, with joyful hearts, and we know that works. They were concerned for people who were in need. We know that's a good thing. They learned painfully not to be stupid about it. We know that's a good thing too, but they didn't then. They encouraged everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They talked about praying together. These were very, very good things. But here's the thing. It wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect. It just sounds perfect. And I think Luke would be upset if he thought that we thought that it sounded perfect. Because he wasn't trying to do that. He was just telling you the facts. For a short period of time, everybody behaved like this. Some of it worked out. Some of it sounded fab, but actually went badly wrong. We need to read the whole thing. Now, when we did this series about the early church, which we've been doing for a few weeks now, I didn't plan 
for this theme to come out, but it's come out over and over again, which is this. We need to read the Bible and see what it actually says, not what we think it says, what we think it should say, or what other people have told us that it says. It's, it's a wonderful gift that many, many generations never had. We have the Bible. We can look and read what it actually says and not take little passages out of context and not have our favorite bits, but actually read our Bibles. And I didn't plan for us to be saying that, but we did. So here we go. What I'm saying is this, that perfect usually means excluding others. Because there are people out there, and I know this is going to be a shock to you, but there are people out there who will spoil your perfect. Right now, in some of your heads, you're already naming a few of those people. <laughs> if I'm on that list, I want to apologize. You're on mine. So you have to be exclusive. In this world at our present time, and has it ever been different? I'm not sure it ever has. But for the West to aim for its perfect life, there has to be winners and there has to be losers. And if you look at levels of poverty, starvation, civil war, unrest, etc., you'll actually find that there's a lot more losers than winners. Because you see, perfection in this world is exclusive. Now, the deception in all of this is to say, well, it's fine if it's exclusive, as long as I'm in that exclusive group. As long as I'm in that exclusive group, it's fine. Is that the way that a church should think? I'll ask that again. Is that the way a church should think? No. no. Do you think that is somehow often how worldwide the church has thought? I'm afraid so. And it's a dangerous thing that we should think like that. But the concept of perfect, the concept of ideal, the concept that everything will be just great for me, means that we have to be exclusive. And utopian thinking is dangerous for Christians. Now, all of this ends up being a problem. But what was the fundamental problem that the church had by having its perfect life for a very short time? And it was this, that the early church had a big problem with difference. The early church had a big problem with difference. Now, I say the early church. If I'm perfectly honest, Everybody has a problem with difference, and that means the church today as well. Dealing with difference is a discipline. Now, there are certain differences that we like. So, somebody comes along who's different, who's really rebellious and naughty in the way that we want to be naughty, and we can use them as an excuse to misbehave ourselves. Hey, go difference. But then there are those who come along and spoil things. There are little sisters who get stuff that we want. There are people who have ideas. Ideas. Just think of it. People have ideas. How inconvenient. 
That's my job. So difference is difficult. There are people whose cultures are not the same as ours. People whose outlook is not the same. People who do not see things like we see things. Do you know, you, and I get this a lot, not just here, you should. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how many times I get you should, but I do get a lot of you should. And I don't think I'm in any way unusual. And I get you should because this works for someone else. Now, there are two approaches to this. One which is good, which is, oh, I agree, let's do it. And one which is not so good, which is, I disagree with that, and here's why. And I explain why, but do you know what? Everything after I disagree with that didn't go in. It doesn't matter what my explanation is or how good my reasoning. It's the fact that I've said, I disagree. That's when the off switch went on and the cross switch went on and and now we're in trouble. That's never happened to you and you've never been that cross person. I know this. I feel privileged to be among you. But there is a problem, you see? It's working for me. How on earth? I mean, how on earth can it not work for you? How can it not be right? I have thought about this a lot. I have sat on my own and thought about it a lot. I've talked to other people exactly like me. I have found books that agree. I've looked at other books that disagreed, but I've found books that agree. I know I am right. How can you not? Just think how good it would be. Fortunately, however, there's another church somewhere else that is. They understand the truth. I know. Until, of course, they don't. (coughs) And this is one of the interesting things. You see, one of the troubles that we've had through the 80s and the 90s, and it's been the bane of lots of people's lives, is that as we think like this, eventually we try and raise up leaders who give the people what they want. Which means you don't have to do any work. I've worked out, I've had focus groups, We once had focus, did we have focus? We had focus groups, didn't we once? I really ought to have paid attention, shouldn't I? And and, and we work out the most entertaining worship band and we we do the whole kit. I don't want to know good worship bands, by the way. I've been blessed by many of them, but you know what I mean. And we generate a product. And the people come in and they consume and then they go home. And if they turn up and the product isn't quite as good, but there is an option somewhere else, well, that's great because then you can go there. And we're saying, welcome to the church that looks like Tesco's. The trouble with that is, of course, that Christians do not grow. I was talking to a leader of a very large church, and he'd moved job. A very large church. Now, this is not Francis Chan, but if you read Francis Chan's letters to the churches, you will get a very similar story. Do you know Francis Chan? Good guy. Very scary to talk to, though. But anyway, good guy. 
Anyway, this guy said, well, we as leadership, we turned up, they had a church of 4,000 people. And he said, we got together one day and we realized this, that we were a mile wide and an inch deep. That as soon as we failed to give the product, we were going to be a church of 25. And somebody else was going to gain 3,975 people. Until, of course, they did, and so on and so on. Is this the discipleship that we are supposed to be growing in a church? Tell me, is this the discipleship we're supposed to be growing in a church? Is this the discipleship we're supposed to be growing in this church? Do you believe that? Okay, yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. Yes, as long as you get this bit a bit better. Yes, as long as you emphasize this piece, which I've worked out on my own and read the right book, that's not it. Read the right books that tell me what I want to hear. Yes. You see, we still have a problem with difference. And difference is this, that my utopia, Linda's utopia, Sheila's utopia, Ken's utopia, Charles's utopia, Shani's utopia, they all somehow differ from your utopia ever so slightly. And the challenge for them is to get into line with yours. This is very dangerous. The idea that the ideal is out there is not true. So I just want to go through the conclusion of this. The perfect life, ladies and gentlemen, is not out there. The perfect life is not out there. Check your lungs. Are you breathing in and out? Are you? No perfect life yet. Sorry. The perfect life starts when you stop breathing. Potentially when you stop breathing, at least a little bit of my life improves. Who knows? But that's not what I mean. I'm only, jo I'm only joking. I'm just joking. Okay. But what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this, that it isn't out there. Jesus promises us you'll have trouble. You'll have trouble. Well, Jesus isn't promising us a utopian church because in a utopian church, guess what? There's no trouble. But there is trouble. All right, the perfect church is not out there. Can I tell you something else? The perfect church is not back there. Can I tell you something, right? Uh, and this is the truth. So I spent a large part of my life investigating child abuse and a fair amount of my time helping adults who were sexually abused as children to deal with the sexual abuse. The bulk of the work that I did with that were the children of Christians in churches like this. That while others were saying, this is the fantastic church, this is perfect, everything is exactly how I want it, there were children in those churches whose fathers and stepfathers and grandfathers were scarring their lives forever. And it was never picked up and never believed because everybody was so happy that they were getting what they wanted. Why don't I believe in perfect churches? Ladies and gentlemen, on a serious note, I don't believe in perfect churches because I have picked up the pieces from perfect churches more times than I would like to remember. There are no perfect churches. 
And if you are one of those people, can I just tell you that you are not alone. Jesus, Jesus will walk with you in this. There is no perfect church. Let's not kid ourselves. And looking back does not give us what we need. Perfection comes after life. We struggle now. We need to walk by faith. See, here's the problem about the idea about perfection. Perfection isn't the next step. It's a whole series. But this is walking by faith. God tells us what the next step is. Do you do this, by the way? Just, have, you ever, have you ever had God tell you what the next step is? Hands up if you've had God tell you what the next step is. Okay, this is what happens when God tells me when the next, I know it's not you, but it's me. All right, this is what God tells me what the next step is, and then I project the next 490 steps and work out where it's all going. Do you do that? Of course you don't. But there's the thing, then I'm not walking by faith. I've gone, thank you, God, I'll take it from here. That is not walking by faith. Do you know what God has for this church next week, next month, next year? Me neither. We walk by faith. Is that not a good thing? Is that not what we're supposed to do? Okay, there you go. Right, so it's a life of discipleship. We need to follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus now, I hope you're beginning to see that an exciting life that deals with reality and doesn't sell fantasy is available for you. What's wrong with you is fixable. What's wrong with everybody else is tolerable because Jesus can do all things. Can I just tell you this? Just a final closing, I think, about the ideal isn't there until heaven. Yes? Okay, here's the thing. If we think heaven is now, and we're sometimes told we should make heaven now, this is what I know about heaven. Some people won't go in. Are you going to choose who they are? Maybe it's good that it isn't heaven now. And that means that all of us have got a chance, isn't it? Yeah, not heaven now, not heaven now. Heaven comes. Jesus talks that the kingdom of God is here. Well, the kingdom of God includes everybody who will come. It is not exclusive. We don't want heaven until God's timing comes. What we want, what we want is the church now. All its failings, all its flaws, all its differences, all its really irritating people. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to be hungry that for us to bring in more irritating people to cause more trouble and make us less perfect because then the door is open for Jesus to do his work. And if you have a problem with that, you are not hearing God because that's what Jesus said. It is like a banquet where all the posh people wouldn't come. So he went out on the highways and the byways and the waifs and the strays and he brought them in and he had a feast. If we want a feast in this town, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be full of awkward people. Please get used to it. There is no utopia until heaven. What we want is the church now. Let's be excited about that. Not what if or but, not back there, not forward to that, but now is where God is working. I'm sorry for overdoing it.